What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern, and this is the third and final installment of the Beekeeper episodes. So if you did not hear episodes one or two, I highly recommend you go back and listen to those to hear about beginning the hobby of beekeeping and urban beekeeping. In this third and final episode, we will hear from Ryan Oltoff, who is a beekeeper in rural Canada, about an hour outside of Edmonton, Alberta. He's been beekeeping for 17 years and has over 6,000 hives that he operates. So we're going to learn all about getting a beekeeping operation all the way up to a full-scale commercial operation and what that entails and how exactly to do that. Without further ado, here is the third and final episode of Beekeeper. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Nice to be here. So I am really, really, really excited to hear about your story. You have about 6,200 hives, correct? That is right. So uh, there's probably going to be a very long answer to this question, and I'm, that's totally okay, and I'm excited to hear it. Uh, just give us a little bit of your history. Like, How the hell do you end up at 6,200 hives? So it's a bit of a long story. I grew up in southern Alberta uh, near a small town or... Uh, small town called Granham, uh, and it's, it's, uh, roughly an hour's drive north of the Montana border. And when I was in my last year of high school, uh, this is going to maybe sound like a cliched Canadian story, but, uh, I had to go retrieve some hockey nets <laughs> from a, a local beekeeper. Um, because it's like a Canadian up, rite of passage. Uh, sure. Sure. So I went, uh, I went to this guy's farm to pick up the hockey nets and, uh, he kind of sized me up, me and my brother and said, Hey, do you need a summer job? And I said, yes, I do need a summer job. Uh, I was, like I said, uh, finishing high school and planning on, uh, going to university, uh, which I ended up doing as well. Uh, but, uh, needed a summer job. So that's kind of how I started in, in beekeeping. And after uh, two years of uh, working for this uh, beekeeper, kind of learning uh, a little bit about uh, how to uh, to keep bees and whatnot, um, I actually ended up uh, working for his brother. Now, his brother is uh, the largest commercial beekeeper in Canada. Wow. And um, so I, I kept on working there, and, and uh, as I was going to school, then uh, during the summers, uh, always came back, worked at the, worked at the bee farm and moved home and, and worked there all summer and was able to, you know, pay out, pay for my uh, school that way. But, uh, I also learned the business. And by the time I graduated uh, university, uh, the, uh, person I was working for, uh, was looking to start a second operation. And, uh, since his own children were, were too young and his other employees, uh, didn't really want to move, uh, he offered me, uh, the position. Wow. So no way. We, we, uh, were, uh, I, I guess I, I decided at that time that, uh, you know, I, I, I did have a degree, but, uh, I, I thought I'd give, uh, the bee business a try. Uh, so I, mo I moved, it's about four hours drive away, um, I have no family here, and um, we uh, worked out a uh, the purchase of actually a, another retiring beekeeper, and over the years, uh, it, it started with uh, about 1,300 hives in the first year that we basically moved 
moved here from the from the main operation and I, I ran them that way and then over the years just uh built up built up the business and um and then you know as the as the years have gone by then uh, we've worked on an arrangement uh for me to to purchase the business so I, i've been you know steadily uh doing that over the years and so this is uh, basically the the only full-time job you've ever had that's right yeah what an opportunity for so you're what like 22 <sighs> years old or something and you get the opportunity to run your own place Right. Well, I was actually 23. Yep. And, and now I'm, uh, 35. So, um, yeah, I get, I guess that's, uh, the faith that, uh, was entrusted to me into, uh, to run a business like that. And, you know, over the years, uh, you know, things have gone fairly well for us. Um, about six years ago, I was close to 4,000 hives at that time. And another beekeeper in the Edmonton area uh, wanted to get out of the business. So we had an opportunity to basically double the, the size of the business, you know, overnight. Uh, and in, in one month, uh, when this, this sale opportunity came, we bumped the operation up to 7,500 hives. Whoa. And uh, I ran it for a season like that, and it was quite big. Uh, so after, after that season, we actually, uh, started another farm and, and now my, my brother manages that farm, uh, uh, nearby about an hour away. So, uh, so I, I scaled back to about 5,000 hives and then, you know, over the, over the years, uh, have, have built it up again. So, uh, I think, uh, next year I might grow a little bit again, maybe 6,400 hives. And I think that's the end of, uh, the business growth. That's the sweet so, spot for you. Well, I, I believe so. You know, we, we kind of have a, a little bit of a, a formula about uh, employees and, and uh, one, one person can successfully run about 500 highs through the season, you know, uh, any more than that. And, you know, you're just not giving the bees the attention that they need. And, and um, you know, you, you can make more honey off of a less amount of hives if you care for them properly and, and maximize the production that way. So, um, that's, that seems to be, uh, where we're going to settle and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so much in life is that way with giving something the care that it requires rather than just trying to bleed it dry, you know, and maximize profit. But so you're, you're at what, like a dozen or 13 employees now then? Uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm still, uh, at 12 uh, employees, including myself, um, most of them are all s seasonal workers. Um, I, I actually hire, uh, employees from, uh, Mexico and they come to Canada as part of a farm worker program. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the particular uh, province I live in, Alberta, is, uh, well, despite the recent downturn in the price of oil, you know, over the past several years has had very low unemployment. Um, maybe your U.S. listeners might, you know, liken it to North Dakota or whatnot, where, where the oil industry is able to pay huge wages and the, the unemployment is very low. So yeah. that's uh, a similar situation we have in Alberta. So it's very difficult to find, find employees. So what all goes into a full-scale commercial operation? What are you making? I mean, honey is the obvious one. Are you also doing things with um, the wax and stuff like that? Uh, well... It, 
the the person uh, my my original business partner, uh, which I, I still am a business partner with, uh, does all the wax processing uh, at at his farm. Uh, it's uh, about a five to six month a year job, uh, and you do need a lot of specialized equipment. So for for my my own business, uh, I don't melt any of the wax. I I actually collect collect wax um, and, and uh, have it processed there. So, um, but you know, as part of a revenue stream, sure, uh, wax sales is part of it, and honey sales, of course. And our other uh, part of the business is uh, pollination, and I do uh, seed canola pollination. This is what canola oil comes from. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So in Southern Alberta, roughly 80,000 hives every year are used for seed canola pollination. Um, it, you know, in comparison to the almond industry in California, that's, it's really a drop in the bucket, but, uh, you know, for, for our, uh, little corner of the country, you know, it's, it's still fairly, fairly significant. So that's incredible. I mean, you yourself are responsible for about 10% of the pollination then. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I don't actually bring all my hives there. Uh, this year I had a contract for 800 hives, so I guess uh, 1% maybe, but <laughs> um, yeah. Why uh, is that? You you need to keep the rest of, of your hives doing uh, other things? The, the rest of my hives I keep close to the farm for uh, honey production. Um, there is a certain... Uh, loss of, of honey production when you, when you move highs for, for, uh, canola pollination. Um, but the, that's kind of offset by, by payments for, for the pollination contract itself. So, um, the reason we do it, of course, is, uh, because it's a way to diversify our income and, and, uh, you know, guarantee cash flow, which, uh, you know, when you're in a risky business like farming, uh, cash flow is uh, very important. So, yeah. So, the both of the last two beekeepers that I spoke with um, talked about wintering uh, their bees and overwintering. And I mean, Jeremy lives in Texas, so he said it's not much of a problem for him there. And uh, Sadie lives in Boston, so she said, you know, that is a, a definite issue there. I mean, I feel like there cannot be possibly a worse place. Uh, to be a beekeeper than in Canada. What, what is that like? Well, uh, you know, the winters are of course, uh, long, uh, and sometimes harsh. Uh, we, uh, cover them up with, uh, thick black insulated tarps and, uh, all our hives are on pallets. Uh, so actually it, it's surprising the amount of heat that a beehive will generate, uh, even, even in uh, cold weather. Uh, so four hives on a pallet that are smushed together will in a sense share a little bit of heat and the, the insulation in the tarp will hold a lot of, uh, of that heat in and, uh, and snow actually is a, as a great insulator. The snow actually will pile up, uh, so high that uh, you can't even see the highs when you come there in the spring. Uh, it's actually drifted over that high. So um, yet, uh, amazingly, the bees are able to uh, to survive in those uh, conditions. So, so could you tell us a little bit about um, your, like the products? I guess that you specifically are making. So, let's say your your honey. Are you do you have your own honey label and you're selling that yourself, or is everything just wholesale and you're selling that to other companies? In my business, uh, we're, we're basically a wholesaler. 
uh, I, I do do some, uh, you know, farm sales, uh, when, when people, uh, stop in, uh, uh, I actually, uh, live close to a, you know, provincial park. So I do get a lot of, uh, traffic on the road, um, from, from visitors. Uh, but that, that represents a very small portion of my honey sales. Uh, the vast majority of my honey is, uh, bulk sales. So I fill it in, uh, drums and ship it to, uh, packers. Uh, who you know, of course, will uh, bottle it for uh, retail sales. So, uh, so uh, another thing that I heard from both of the other beekeepers that I interviewed is that both of them said that the more that they learn and the more that they learn about beekeeping and bees, the more that they're realizing that they don't know about beekeeping and bees. So, you have by far been beekeeping the longest out of the three of you. Do you now really feel like you don't know anything or is it the opposite and now you're starting to get a grip on beekeeping? Well, I guess beekeeping is one of those things where it's lifelong learning really uh, and and things things change as well, you know, you have to be uh uh really on top of uh, you know, pest treatments and and um Especially because uh, there's, although there's a lot of research going into beekeeping, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, products on the market. Uh, so when you, when you have a pest like the Varroa mite, which is a, a uh, one of the, the, or is the largest pest to uh, beekeepers, uh, and there's limited treatment options. So you really have to know what, the condition of your hives is, and you have to know, you know, are your treatments working, monitoring? Uh, you know, I, I do actually uh, have a lot of contact and discussions with with older beekeepers, and, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you could make a huge crop and, and have almost no expenses. In fact, uh, in those days, beekeepers didn't even bother keeping their hives over the winter in, in the northern states and northern parts of Canada, you just killed them off every winter and bought new ones from California, uh, which is, you know, a totally different business model than, than what's done right now. Yeah. Um, so that's just because it, too many bees are dying now. So you need to hang on to the ones that you have. Well, uh, I, I don't know if, if I would, if I would say that, you know, there's certainly a lot less hives kept in the country in North America than, than there was, you know, historically, um, you know, I think, uh, beekeeping is trending, uh, towards, uh, older beekeepers and, you know, just like a, a lot of bits of farming, uh, not a lot of young people are, you know, want to get into the business. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's still, you know, yeah, I, I do, uh, spend a lot of time, uh, reading about bees and going to conferences and talking to other beekeepers. And, you know, I find beekeepers themselves are fairly unique in that they are totally willing to, uh, you know, share their knowledge. So, uh, that's, that's one of the great things about, uh, being a beekeeper. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we met on that Reddit beekeeping forum and everyone, it seems like such a, a nice change of exchange of information that everyone has there. Sure. Yeah. So are there, you mentioned that, um, I'm sorry, what is the, the type of mite that you mentioned that, that attacks the bees? 
the Varel mite is is one of them, uh, and, and there is a, another mite called the tracheal mite, which is is a little bit uh, less of a pest, but uh, you know, by far our greatest nemesis so in that, beekeeping that, is the Varroa mite. The, when you talk about that, it almost sounds like being a doctor or a surgeon or something like that in, in the way that you need to keep up keep up your education. You know, like um, the same antibiotics that work to um, you know, cure diseases 30 years ago might not be working anymore. And we have these, um, you know, things like MRSA and stuff like that. The antibiotics just aren't, that aren't, it's just not helping anymore. So is that same sort of thing happening for the beekeeping world that you're, you're constantly having to keep up your education and and find new ways to deal with the problems? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, Marat, uh, in dealing with mites, there's, you know, there are actually a, a few treatment options out there, and the 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 real uh, the real trick is is to uh, you know develop a integrated pest management program and and rotate your your chemicals. But again, like like I say, you you have to uh, you know keep on top of of what's working, and and uh, you know. Are there any new uh, products in the pipeline? Do you have to, uh, you know, talk to your local or, or state uh, apiarist and, and see what uh, what's out there? Could you offer some research dollars? Um, and I think a lot of farming is is very modern that way. Um, you know, it, you have to uh, you have to know what your treatment. T- options are and, and are they working? So, yeah. um, you know, the beekeepers in the seventies, I don't think they had a microscope and, uh, you know, now it's almost, uh, you know, you, you have to have these kind of tools, uh, and know how to use them to know that your, your treatment is, uh, is working for sure. So what are the other concerns that you have as a very large scale beekeeper that just kind of a, a hobbyist beekeeper or a small scale professional beekeeper would not really have to worry about? Well, uh, the, the other major pest to, to, to uh, beehives is, is a uh, disease called Nozema, which is uh, um, almost akin to uh, calf scours. So, uh, you know, especially in the Northern climate, Bees uh, can be confined uh, for five to six months. Um, so, you know, although they can survive uh, the harsh temperatures, sometimes if they're not able to uh, fly out of the hive and have what's called a cleansing flight, you know, they can uh, develop dysentery in the hive. What is a cleansing um, flight? So, uh, obviously, uh, bees don't want to... and. Let me put this. Try and try and put this as not crude as possible. You know, they don't <laughs> want to poop in their. They don't want to poop in their house. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if there happens to be a warm day, which uh, you know, even in the middle of winter in Alberta, sometimes uh, the temperature will shoot up, and the bees are able to uh, fly out of the hive and then uh, uh, defecate out out in the you know the wild and and fly back to their hive. So. Um, you know, if, if you have a long, long extended winter, you know, that they have less opportunity, uh, to, to do something like that. So, um, so certainly, uh, you know, there, there's a number of pests and, and at, at right now, uh, we're able to, to stay on top of them with treatments. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, resistance to chemical treatments and, and whatnot is always a concern. 
So it sounds so, like you have pretty much the same concerns as a small scale beekeeper. You just have them on a larger scale. Sure, sure. And, you know, the one advantage that a small scale beekeeper has is that they can really give each hive, you know, more of a more individual attention. And whereas, you know, in our in industry, you know, it's more of a prophylactic treatment. You know, we just every hive, you know, has to get a had us to get a strip or, or a bit of medication because, you know, you just, uh, you know, as much as we try and try and, uh, give every hive, you know, in individual, uh, care, there's just not enough hours in the day to do that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that, you know, definitely that's, uh, that's, uh, one, one advantage of being smaller scale. Um, you know, and of course, uh, like I mentioned, uh, labor in my particular area is, uh, is difficult, uh, um, you know, so that, that's always a concern. Um, so let's yeah. talk a little bit about the time perspective of how long you have been beekeeping for now. So the other two people that I've interviewed, one has been beekeeping for two years. One has been beekeeping for five years. Uh, if you can remember anything that stands out, what is like one of the biggest lessons that you learned post five years beekeeping, like one of the more recent lessons that you can remember that was a pretty big lesson for you. Would I say uh, I'm running the business drastically different than when I started? You know, maybe not, you know, I, I have a, uh, you know, newer building, but, uh, you know, things are, are certainly, uh, similar. So, um, I think, uh, most of our business is just, just gradual improvement. Um, you know, and, and we're not, uh, we're willing to, you know, experiment with things. And, uh, you know, just for example, this year, uh, I'm making a, an experimental change to, uh, my winter covers. Um, you know, and, uh, I always used to use uh, ropes on them and now I'm trying bungee cords, but, you know, I, I have to, uh, do a little test run, I guess. So, um, and see how they fare through the cold temperatures and, you know, are the porcupines going to eat the, eat the bands and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I think maybe that's, that's probably one of the things that I've learned is, you know, don't change everything all at once, do an experiment. And if it works, uh, you know, then look at changing things. And, you know, uh, I guess the other thing is, uh, and this is one of the things that's, uh, helpful, uh, about, uh, talking to other beekeepers and, and sharing information is I, I'm really not afraid to steal a good idea from somebody else. So um, <laughs> yeah, good advice. You know, like all the great know, thinkers and, of, of our time, you know, I'm not, I'm not really, uh, uh, one to reinvent the wheel. So, you know, if I, if I see another good idea, I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely take advantage of it. So yeah, both those things are great advice just in general, <laughs> not just sure, for, for sure. beekeeping. So why don't we leave off with what advice would you give to somebody who is already beekeeping um, and they would like to scale up their operation? What would be the first piece of advice that you would give them? Well, I think, uh, like I mentioned, um, you know, the, the beekeeping industry especially is is trending towards older beekeepers. So I think there there's a lot of opportunity for younger people to, to take over. Um, you know, you certainly, you have to have a lot of drive to, uh, to want to get into, into farming. Um, but you know, I, I actually just had this conversation with a 70 year old beekeeper the other day and, 
you know, when he was getting going, the interest rates, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties were, were close to 20%. And now money is so cheap. It's practically free. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's, uh, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, you know, we've actually had a lot of stability in the honey price, uh, over the past few years. So, um, you know, definitely, uh, if you're, if you're young and, and willing to, uh, to endure, you know, five or 10 years of really hard work, then, you know, by the time you have, uh, have a decade in the business, uh, you know, th- it gets a lot easier. Ryan, thank you so much for the advice. We really appreciate it. Okay. Great talking to you. Hey guys, it's Blake. Well, that's it. My first ever three-part episode. And I think you're probably all well-educated enough now to go and teach a college course about beekeeping. Or at the very least, start your own apiary, your own beekeeping hobby, or maybe like Sadie from the Urban Beekeeping episode, just keep a whole bunch of bees in a glass container in your room and stare at them all the time. So I hope you enjoyed everything. Thank you for listening and check out some of the other episodes on the podcast. Thanks so much. I love you all.